Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Well, hello. Welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat podcast. My name is John Markar, and as ever, I'm sat joined by Amy Shaw. Hello. hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, we, we, we often set this illusion that we see each other once a week and do this recording. We have, of course, just previously recorded an episode of our I, I'm already podcast. fed up of, of, of talking to you, but... Uh, I, it's I'll, understandable. It's understandable. I'll force myself through this next hour or so. <laughs> Well, that's, that's <laughs> I feel mean so saying it. I don't mean any of it. Do you hear that, listeners? Do you hear what I have to put up with? That's an insight into my, my working world there. But fortunately for you, Amy, we're joined by a third voice today. And again, there's no Andy this week. But that's okay. Because we have got a third voice to join us. And that third voice is called Sam Bailey, who's a good friend of both mine and Amy's because mm-hmm. we've both done fun things with Sam. And Sam runs a very popular, well-known business locally called the SL Shop, which surprisingly specialises in Mercedes SLs. Hello, Sam. Welcome to the Driven Chat Podcast. Thank you. I feel like I'm joining an old married couple here, the way you two have <laughs> started on each other. I don't know whether I'm here to mediate. Am I Am I here in a counselling role? No, or... like we, we'll, we'll bicker, but actually we're busy mates. So, uh, yeah. yeah. No, we're... Where, how do I fit in with the process of that? You're like our surrogate child, because okay. we, oh. we, we, that's what I'm going to go with. Fine, um, surrogate we, child. <laughs> I mean, let's let's just roll with that, okay? That, that works, right? Yeah, fine. It's, it's already taken an angle. I didn't think we were going to go down, but I like it. There it's we fine. are. It's fine. Well, thanks for having me. Pleasure. No, it's been great to have you, Sam, because we, we've kind of known about each other for a, a while. We are, of course, as we always are, we're sat in the car park at Caffeine and Machine, and we met here, you and I. You turned up in a rather lovely SL500, I believe, and as you have done today, is it a 500? 450, that one. It's a 450. God, Come on. I should have looked at the badge. It's like you don't know cars. I know. Um, but it's an R107, and that is ultimately what you specialise in, isn't it? You've got an awful lot of R107s in your workshop. And, I mean, I, I feel silly almost trying to talk about your business when the best person to talk about your business is you. So why don't you, in a summary, tell us what the SL shop is all about? How long's the podcast again? How long <laughs> well, <laughs> oof, let's go. Uh, let, let's say we've got an hour. Go okay. for it. So, um, yeah, so uh, as you say, our, our business is specialising in classic Mercedes SLs, and, and our core model is that 107, which was produced by Mercedes from 71 to 89. Mm. Although over the years, what we've tended to have done is sort of gravitated towards the model each side of the 107. So the Pagoda or 113, mm. made in the 60s, and the 129 came after the 107. So, really, there's kind of three models to our focus. We started the business, or I started the business about 15 years ago. It was a hobby business at that time. I was, um, I think I'm middle-aged, 47, is that middle-aged? Mm. Youthful of the, the middle-aged point. Thank you. you I'm go. siding with already, <laughs> from the counselling point of view. Amy's got a good point on this stuff. <laughs> um, so I started the, uh, the business uh, 15 years ago, and I was the kid at school. The relevance of my age is I was the kid at school that used to read 
Auto Trader on a Friday. Mm. You're probably too young to even know what Auto Trader no, in a printed version is. Everybody knows version. it as a digital version mm. now, but it came out on a Friday. And in there, there was about two pages of the hundred pages that was on classics. Yeah. And that was where I went to. Even as a teenager, I was into my classics. So my father was in the motor trade. He did his apprenticeship on Mercedes-Benz. He um, carried on working throughout his career on Mercedes and Volvo. Um, <laughs> somebody's, somebody's enjoying We're being the ages. Serenaded. Ah, yeah, beautiful. Um, so, uh, and yeah, I was a petrol head, you know, from an early age. So at school, I was the one that read Auto Trader instead of paying attention to what was going on, and was always into cars, always into old cars. Mm-hmm. Um, went down the path of, of field sales, corporate sales, and, and had you know proper jobs with proper companies and that sort of thing. But always had a couple of cars about me and bought and yeah. sold and tinkered around and did the best I could, and then. Uh, just over 15 years ago, I thought I need to have a go at, at, at doing this full time. And a strange turn of events, and, and I think this often happens with people how they start businesses or change their life events. I, I broke my leg, I snapped my thigh bone water skiing, Ooh. and was uh, went to hospital and was operated on in the morning. But for a few hours during the night, I was kind of kept company by a nurse who was managing my pain levels and everything else because I'd cleanly snapped my thigh bone and uh, she was telling me about her boyfriend who had finished his job and started a car business Uh and it just was kind of inspirational time of my life I'm lying there you know vulnerable like broken and thinking yeah this is what life should be so literally following that quit my job started the business full-time it was kind of a bit of a hobby before that and yeah, here we are 15 years later, started with one employee and now we've got 52. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And what was it about the, was the plan always going to be SLs or was it going to be classic cars in general? Why the SL? It started as classic cars in general mm-hmm. um, because I, I kind of like, like all of us who consider ourselves as petrol heads, I like all cars. I like all old cars. Yeah. So it was MGBs, Triumphs, Jags, Lotus, all kinds of cars. And then I ended up acquiring a couple of cars that I should never have acquired. They got too many problems and I, I bought them not really understanding the problems that they'd got. And I thought yeah. to myself, I can't be doing this. I need, I need to know exactly what I'm buying. I need to know what I'm selling from a, a customer point of view. Mm-hmm. Whoever comes to see a car, to buy a car, I need to know more about the product than they do. Sure. Um, obvious now mm-hmm. when you say it, but at the time, you know, when you're into all sorts of stuff, it wasn't quite so obvious. And um, Mercedes seemed to be the obvious route, given my father was doing a, f- a few hours and a few days for me, given my passion for Mercedes and, and, and SLs. And 107s were just coming into ascendancy about that time. Mm-hmm. They were just starting to get popular, still quite affordable at that time. So I thought, yeah, let's, let's do that. Picked a name called the SL Shop. Not very proud of that name now. It feels a bit low rent now. I wish I'd have called it it's like SL Heritage Centre or something a little bit more premium. But it's called the SL Shop. It is the SL Shop, and I'm I'm not going to change it. Now, no. Well, I, I always work on the basis when it comes to any kind of branding or names. If you have to ask, oh, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. Then it doesn't work. I think oh. with your brand. It definitely does work. We've had some classics, so NEC really? Classic Car Show, 15 107s on a stand. People walk on the stand and say, what is it you do? <laughs> yeah. You just point at them and go, this, yeah. this, this is what we do. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so did it always start off as kind of the, the buying and selling of, of SLs and was that your, your business as a, as a hobby? Or was it the more restoration service side, which, because I've, I've been to your place now, Many times, photographed it for two days at least, I think now, and so I, I feel like I, I know your place quite well. And to me, the the first thing you, you walk through the door, and I love every 
bit of I don't know if it's you call it branding or not the, the way that you walk in and you've got a sign that's like welcome and you know that we're coming along yes. and then you have our name and you're like oh, I feel special <laughs> so, and everybody takes a photo of that because yes. I did <laughs> which is clever you are special you oh, and you are really special too <laughs> but you know it's, it's clever it's yeah. the way that you know Starbucks might spell our names wrong because then we take a photograph of it and mm. then talk yeah, about yeah, it online yeah. and so um, and also a great iconic bit that people will know your showroom to be is the the huge wording in the middle of the your, your showroom which is oh lord won't you buy me a dot 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 and we all know the song if you're into decent music and um you know it, it's just a great thing to, to get people talking about you and then in, i mean massive part of of your your business at least from the the onlookers point of view looks like the service and restoration would you say that's 50 50 with the the sales side or is it um you sell a car and then you've made the sale and then that person stays with you for a service like how well first of all how did it start and where is it now okay there's two core questions there the, yes, sorry, the first one is how did it start <laughs> the other one is about how we how we treat our customers that um it started as car sales but we very quickly started to service and then restore cars for more and more people you know we were preparing cars to a very high standard for our showroom facility and then customers started to say well can I bring my car to you for servicing can I bring my car to you for, to, for improvements that then turned into restoration so started out as car sales then turned into restorations and then along the way because we were finding more and more difficult to find parts actually as a, as a third arm now which is parts and more by luck than design each business has got an equal amount of employees and uh, revenue as each other. So car sales, workshops and parts are, are equal thirds in, in the whole scheme of things in terms of the, the weight that, that they carry across. What's common to them all is how we treat our customers. And you know, you talk about people's names being on the board and that kind of thing and, and, and you know, the, the, the presence that we have in the, in the showroom and, and the other customer areas. For me, it was really important to treat customers the way I wanted to be treated, the way I enjoy being treated, which was with sincerity, with fairness, um, you know, with, with correct value. We're not the cheapest in town, but we certainly do provide good value. We know these cars inside out, and if you bring a car to us, then we put it right, and we, you know, we put it right when we say and how we say we're going to do it. So treating customers the way I wanted to be treated was, was absolutely you know, paramount. And, and that goes down to the preparation of the cars. We buy the very best cars to put in that showroom and we still spend you know, quite a few thousand pounds preparing each car before it goes out. We, yeah. we don't talk about it, we don't need to talk about it, we just put our guarantee on that car and that guarantee on our car you know, takes time and takes money. Same with the restorations. You know, we make sure that the restorations are exactly as either the customer wants or exactly as Mercedes would have intended that vehicle as it left the factory. Mm -hmm. And the same with the parts. If we've sent the wrong part, if the customer's changed their mind, if for whatever reason a, a part is, is, you know, needs replacing, we change it. There's no quibbles, there's no questions, sure. it's changed. Sorry, I was, just, I was listening to the, that was kind of encompassed by, by the, the process of it because, um, yeah, it's something that, I don't. Do you think that, in terms of the restoration of classic cars, because I've my own my own life is turning into something that we will talk about probably maybe in a future podcast. But it, I, I suppose my biggest concern is that in the future, in twenty years, thirty years time, people won't love classic cars the way that we love classic cars, and people wanting to spend money on the restoration of those classic cars, they may not want to. Do does that ever scare you? Yes. Okay, I'm glad it's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I sit here as a as somebody that doesn't currently work in the world of classic cars, and I just assume that 
there will always be a love for classic cars. And more so as we get into the world of autonomy and electrification and the, the less impact of actual physical driving as we know it, I, I just assume and hope and dream that there will still be a lot of people out there that don't want to have just autonomous options or just electric options. We know that petrol cars aren't going anywhere, neither is oil, so therefore these cars will always exist. And in the same way that I have all of a sudden recently developed this huge passion and interest in pre-war cars, I'm sure there will be many people out that will, who are very young now and will have an interest in cars from the 1970s, 80s and 90s. It's scary to think that a car from the 1990s will one day be thought of as a very classic car, but it will. I, I, I just I can't help but feel like there will always be that ingrained passion. You know, there's no there's no logic no logical reason why I should have a keen interest and a desire to own a pre-war car, but oh boy, I do. So I'd like to think that there will be many younger generations that will look at a R107 and think that's cool because it's an alien spaceship in comparison to the cars that I see on the road today. Yeah, I guess there's two things at play. One is that the car as a form of transport. Mm. And I think you're right, you know, electrification is here, it's coming, we're, we're, we will all be driving electric cars as our daily cars at some yeah. point in the future. Does that also mean we will have a petrol car as well for either long journeys or specialist journeys or yeah. towing or off-roading or whatever else? You know, it, it might be, you know, until the range of these electric cars gets better, we will probably have to have some form of, you know, combustion engine to mm. take us those long distances, won't we? The classic car at the moment is, I guess it's a bit of a luxury, it's a little bit of a um, extravagance, it's nostalgia. Yeah. And when you talk about that nostalgia, it's that that I think makes me worried about future generations. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a story that encompasses it. I've got a very wealthy uh, customer who has many cars in his collection of varying kinds. Mm. Classic, supercars, everything. And his daughter's prom came. Right. What car did she want to go to the prom in? And bear in mind, this guy's got 30 cars, mm. significant, significant collection. Please don't say, like, a manky stretch white limo. A Tesla. I was going to say, is it a Tesla? A Tesla. That was what she wanted she to be seen turning up in. She wanted to be seen turning up in. So, you know, new brands are mm. dominating uh, young people's um, idea of what a car is. Yeah. And also... Brands themselves are changing the idea. I mean, blimey, I mean, you guys talk about this more than me. Yeah. In my head, brands are changing what a car means to us. It's an appliance. It's a way of Correct. getting from A to B. Yeah. You know, Volvo are doing the you know paper month, and it doesn't really matter what you have. You're just getting a vehicle that either fits all the kids in, or has got two seats, or is a four by four, or whatever. Mm. So the very notion of what a motor car meant to to us, and you're probably the last. My son, who's 21, he's probably the last generation to know what you know, cars really meant to us. Mm. That's all changing because brands stand for something different now, don't they? Yeah. If I look at TV adverts for cars, it's all about their connectivity and their th those kind of features. Mm -hmm. It's not about what, what motor cars used to stand for for the era, the era that, that I specialise in, which was, you know, quality, premium. Yes. You know, BMW were driving machines. Yes. Mercedes w weren't really driving machines. They were luxury. They That's were, right. you know, softer driving, more luxurious vehicles. And, and, and the brands had a different essence in yeah. those days to, to now. But then I guess the other argument with that is, uh, or not argument, but the other point to raise with that is at that time, let's say, so the R107 came out, what, uh, late 70s? 71. 70, uh, early 70s, so early 70s. Even right up to the point where it was still a thing in the 80s, 
there was such a thing as a really bad car. You could go, yeah, in, that's you true. could go into a showroom, <laughs> yeah, you could by go Morris buy a, a Morris Marina, <laughs> yeah. some sort of Soviet car, yes. be that you know, a, 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 FSO or a exactly, yeah. And you had good cars and bad cars. Whereas nowadays, there really isn't such thing. Yeah, as you're a bad right. Car, there. They're all you good cars. You can't go yeah. into any showroom and go, oh gosh, we're going to have yeah. to. We're going to have to buy a Skoda because we can't afford the yes. BMW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter because the Skoda is going to be absolutely fantastic yeah. because it's essentially a Passat. Yeah. And yeah, I, I guess that that has got to be the challenge now for modern car manufacturers because there is no such thing as a rubbish car anymore. No, no, no manufacturers sit there going, "Oh God, we're churning out another one of these." <laughs> Whereas you probably find that Skoda were or Lada back yeah. in the day going, "Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Th this is the car that people are going to buy when they can't afford anything else." Yeah. And you can imagine that maybe. You know, I think of a Dacia. I have a, a strange love for the brand Dacia because of what it is. It's such a simple, non-complex brand of car. Ultimately, they're all Renaults. They're all going to work perfectly, but it's still a cheap car, and I love that. But at the same time, I know that I could go and buy one, and it would work. Yeah. So I guess there is that. That's going to be the challenging part of it. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Let's focus a little bit on the the uh, the primary core of your business which i think as amy you've tried to touch on this a little bit which is the kind of the servicing and maintenance and people do people bring cars to you to be restored absolutely so yeah, yeah. so they, they might find you might find they buy a car from a barn or something you know it's rusted and falling apart they bring it to you and say please make it good yeah what is that what does that process entail and, and what is that customer like typically because is that going to give us a vision of what the future customer may be is that somebody, the kind of person that brings you that car, is that somebody that might have enjoyed that car as a child or maybe had that car in a previous life? Or, you know, who are, who are those people? There's three core types of customer, really. So um, you've got your customers that are buying for investment. and yeah. We don't need to talk about those today, I guess. We'll talk about the car enthusiasts more yeah. today. Um, there's folks who have either owned the car for a very long time mm. or perhaps inherited it as part of a family situation sure. yeah and th those are those are fascinating ones to have because they've got their own requirements for the car either in terms of putting it back to the way it was the way they remember it mm. or, or putting it back the way that the manufacturer intended it to be and then you've got folks that are perhaps n either new to classic car ownership or new to classic Mercedes ownership and they might have acquired a car through one of the many auctions or mm. auction um, derivatives that there are at the moment or they might have purchased it through eBay or another dealer or whatever. So they, they're often bringing their vehicle to us to um, get an opinion to, to start with and, and we do this thing called a health check. So we do a full day's health check on, a, on, on the car, produce an eight page report and then go through the car on a sort of a consultancy basis with the with the owner to sort mm. of say, right, okay. so. Tell us about your journey with this car. Have you owned it for many years? Have you just inherited it through whatever situation? Have you just bought it? And what are your intentions for it? Because to, to get the, the relationship right and to get the car right, you've got to understand what the customer wants from it. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants something different. Some people just want an oil change. Mm -hmm. You know, Some people want to tidy up the chromes because they've gone a bit rusty and do a few superficial surface bits and pieces. Other people need to know that it's going to be reliable for that trip down to the south of France mm. or, or Italy or wherever they might mm -hmm. be going. Other people you know, might want it to absolutely be as, it, as, as was new. So... It goes in the workshop for a full day's assessment, and then we spend, you know, quite a bit of time with the owner, understanding, you know, what their requirements for the car are, and, mm -hmm. and everybody's got a different need, and everybody's also got a different budget. 
Of course, yeah. <laughs> that must be one of the hardest things to to kind of manage when somebody maybe hasn't got the the, the best budget, but at the same time you think to yourselves, ah, you know, if as we've got the whole I know front suspension off, it will be like four bolts to take the engine out to be able to do this. It's it's so mm. must be so difficult to know, especially with a restoration. Yeah where to stop because also people will look at that car and go to the customer oh who did your restoration and yeah. they will say the sl shop yeah. and if it's not what you're happy with then even though the, the the customer may not have the budget to make it to what you're happy with that must be very difficult to try and know where to draw the line with that it really is and it's so tricky and we we have very frank very open conversations with the customers right from the start in terms of saying the kind of things that you're aspiring to are likely to cost mm. quite a bit more than maybe you, you, you thought of. And, mm. and, and luckily for us, we get there, but we have a, a very frank and open discussion before we enter into any project. Um, just the same as restoring a house or anything else old, you find more things that either you have to attend to through the process mm -hmm. or you might as well attend to whilst you're doing it. And we have yeah. that, that kind of discussion with the customer. Um, but it is tricky and the problem, of course, is the car will often fight you. It's not. <laughs> you, you give them a quote and you're like, yeah. hey, you know, we're expecting it to be around about this. And you, as you said, it fights you back and you think, actually, yeah. this is, this, you ring the customer like, well, this has gone wrong, this has gone wrong. Because yeah. we've fixed that, that's broken. Or yeah. shown that this is yeah. broken. And you end up, somebody will say to you, how much does it, can you quote me for this job? And yeah. then do you find that you'd have to then say, well, if it all goes well, it'll be, yeah. I know, five grand. If it doesn't go well, it yeah. could be 50 grand, depending yeah. on the, the level of what goes wrong and how much the car exactly. fights back. And, and the trouble is, of course, with these cars at the, the age that they are, and this goes, must go for any classic car, but especially one with a complex, um, for example, injection system on a Pagoda, many people have had a go at oh, fixing yeah. them over the years. <laughs> many people have masked the problem. They've just made do. They've they've you know they've fixed that but actually it's caused another problem and then that problem's developed over the years so when you start unpicking things it's never just one thing no you know so if it's a misfire on on a car of a certain vintage we kind of know the things it's likely to be mm. you know based on that and we'll kind of warn the customer and say well we're going to go down this route we'll start here we'll end up there it's likely we're going to end there mm -hmm. so what you think is going to be you know a few hundred or a few thousand pounds m might turn into significantly more that was going to be my next question is how, yeah. many, how many people come in with a yeah i started it um and i got a bit stuck <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. those those are tricky ones those and when the car's been somewhere else because right quite often we'll get, a, we'll get a grumpy well. customer perhaps who will come to us for the first time and um it, the car is with another garage mm. and they've let them down or mm. they haven't been able to they haven't had the technical skill to fix it or whatever we have got the technical skill and we don't want to let our customers down but we're, we're not only de now dealing with an old car, but we're dealing with an old car that somebody else has had a go at, and yeah. then a, a customer who's sort of already a little bit on the back foot, mm. um, with, with wounded with a bill before they even start of with course. us, and then we're saying, by the way, by the way, by the yeah, way. But you know, as we said, the cars do fight you, and it's not the it's not the owner's fault, it's not the SL shop's fault. They're just old cars, and that's yeah. what happens. And you know, luckily, your your hardcore classic car enthusiast gets it. Mm -hmm but quite a few people don't. So we, we have to do a bit of a, a program of education to say, let's just all keep our eyes open as to what this is likely to, yeah. to turn into. Yeah, just to warn people, I guess, yeah. saying, well, it's, it's, it's gonna be somewhere between yeah. these two numbers, depending yeah. on how, yeah. how well it goes. Yeah. Um, but I suppose thinking about the, the idea of getting more 
classic, uh, people, especially younger people, into the, the classic cars. It made me sad to hear your story about your, your, your customer that's got all the cars and she wanted to go to prom in, in a Tesla. But I wonder, I mean, is it down to lack of education about classic cars, lack of like um, experience, I suppose, in, in, in classic cars? Or how do you think that we can almost... Not, not force the next <laughs> generations you promote like, turn the light yes because I mean at the moment um, like I can't see in the in maybe 50 years time I think we'll probably look at eating meat similarly to how we look at smoking there's still people that smoke and mm. but it's almost not not frowned upon is the wrong the wrong word but it's you know it's now difficult to be a smoker you've got to suddenly think social oh, yeah and social mm. that's probably the better way to put it and um i wonder if owning a classic uh, not a classic a combustion engine car will mm. ever be like that or if there'll be a certain period where these machines instead of being something that are almost frowned upon for their emissions are treated as art and we may have a dip in the in the market as this kind of change goes ahead and then in 40, 50 years time, maybe not even that long actually, it shoots up in, in value or, or interest simply for the the way that we perceive these vehicles being some of the most I know, beautiful examples of some of the earliest cars, not necessarily pre-war stuff, which mm. I personally, maybe it's just because I, I can't drive them, I'm terrible, I can't, I can't <laughs> if I've not got like a synchro box then I'm but that, I think I think that to answer that question from my side, in my opinion, would be the way that I think most people get into classic cars is they have to experience one firsthand, don't they? They have to drive one. Or nostalgia. Yeah, or there's you know, some sort of memory or family there is, there's history. A piece of nostalgia. Isn't but it? if you haven't got the no nostalgia, how do we exactly, yeah. promote mm. the yeah. the word you use to, to <laughs> the, these these next generations into cars? Do you think that there needs to be more input from people like you and me to to get I don't know teenagers into these classic cars just to have a go, so that they begin to form this experience and love for for these machines. Or I tell you how we do it. How we do it in this podcast right now because we say if you're listening to this and you're a teenager, because yes. don't we sound old now? <laughs> hello, hello, fellow kids. <laughs> Are you um, down with them, John? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you like classic cars, then you are a good, interesting person. And mm -hmm. if you don't, you're really boring. Yes. There, I said it. I agree. <laughs> I think I think if you look at the popularity of classic car shows, both yes. the big stuff like Bista and, and those things mm -hmm. that happen now more and more and more, as yeah. well as the village ones, you know, what used to be, you know, near, not too far from here, near where I live, is, is the Broadway, you know, classic car show. Yes. It used to be a handful of cars. Blimey. It was acres and acres and acres right. of classic cars, and people loved it and loved being around them. So to try and answer that question, I guess they will become pieces of art. They, they only made so many of them. Mm. Yep. They were going to make them again, mm -hmm. so they should be celebrated. They will be admired. Whether they will be owned and invested in in the way that perhaps we're investing in them now. So my customer base is 40s and 50s typically, so those are people mm -hmm. that maybe remembered them as... as being aspirational when they were new, you know, to own a 107 SL when they were new. These things were 30 grand yeah. 
in, in the early 80s, you could buy a four-bedroom detached house in the suburbs <laughs> for the wow. same cost as a 107 SL. That kind of puts a bit of perspective on it, doesn't mm, it? Yeah. So, you know, I remember them as being aspirational, wealthy, director's wives' cars, this, that and the other. And that's part of the reason why we want to own them, because maybe it's something that we couldn't attain when mm. we were younger. Maybe it's something that we admired. Maybe we just admire the engineering that went into them. So, so when that's gone, I guess it's just a case, as you say, is it a piece of art that's just different, that drives completely completely differently to an electric car that's got smell mm -hmm. and soul mm. and, and the things that modern electric cars haven't got. I don't mean to bash them, I don't bash no, them because no, 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 they've no, got no, their no. place of course, yeah, of course. but you know, they've got all those things happening and they've got soul. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose it does worry me that you, you just think maybe we're missing the soul in these, in these modern cars because we're from the older generation, but I just don't personally see the, the desire for the more the Teslas of the world, for example. Um, but maybe that's because we are not down with the kids. I don't know. <laughs> and we exaggerate it, don't we? If it's, you know, if you know, we jump in a modern car that mm. does everything for us and we say, oh, that's rubbish, blah, 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 <laughs> and then we forget the fact that he's brilliant. Because whether it's petrol or electric, it does everything for yeah, us. Yeah, you're absolutely it? right. Yeah, driving around in some of the, the recent press cars I've had with things like adaptive cruise control and lane departure assist, and uh, it, it's just wonderful because you can, you can just sit there and go, oh, well, this is jolly easy I'll just sit here and relax and just monitor the steering wheel in case I need to touch it from time to time but ultimately the car's going to do it all well, it's uh, like the race car I've just turned up in so we've got this old SL race car 450 SL race car we've this. got like nearly 300 horsepower in it taken as much weight as we dare out of it it's still <laughs> eligible for a load of classic series so we can't change too many things it feels quite fast on the track I've just jumped in it to drive here <laughs> after driving my normal modern turbo car all cars have got turbos haven't yeah, they yeah. and I've said to my son who's in the passenger seat this feels a bit slow. Is it, it's it's a down on power. Yeah, but it's not. It's just because we're used to that, whatever it is, petrol or diesel, that yeah. instant torque that mm -hmm. we get now from the way cars yeah. drive. And yeah. yeah. I mean, when it comes down to the racing side, that I think, if, if anyway, that's probably my first example, real example of when I realised that classic cars were cool because I went to the Goodwood Revival and up until that point, like my brother had a classic Mini and I mean, he'd only just learned to drive so he probably wasn't very good so it wasn't a great impression <laughs> to me. Um, my dad had always been around classic cars so they, they were kind of around but I just didn't see the interest and then I went to the Revival, as a grown-up this is, and then I was like, ha, these cars can actually own it. Mm, <laughs> they they yeah, sound yeah, yeah. amazing, they smell amazing. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, when you're, tell, well, tell us a bit more about the racing side of the SL shop. Well, I guess it came from just a hobby, again, for me, is that I was always trying to get into racing of some kind, but budget restrictions and all started in club racing just mm -hmm. with Mazdas. So you kind of, you start somewhere, don't you? You, yeah. learn, you learn to race, you learn your race craft, you understand what it's like to, to go through a race weekend from everything from signing on to, to qualifying to that first race and second race and whatever else. And then... Ideally, the dream, of course, is to do something like Goodwood. You know, a 107 is never going to enter that. A Pagoda is probably never going to enter it. So we built that, that the car that I've turned up in tonight. There's a 78 450 to do some of the more club-type classic racing with HSCC and BRSCC and those kind of things. So, you know, slightly more um, generic sort of 70s and 80s racing. Um, we also did buy a Ponton, actually, that has raced at Goodwood several times. <laughs> Interestingly, I thought in buying the car that might give me entrance <laughs> to Goodwood, how wrong I was. Even though it's raced there nine times, I, I wrote the most eloquent email I could to the organisers of Goodwood hoping to get an entry with my Ponton Mercedes race car and 
Funny enough, I never even received a response, oh, but um, maybe maybe one day, maybe one day we'll get invited. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so that's the racing. So the racing is a bit of a hobby. Um, I do caterums now, and just started in that, and, and de decidedly mid-pack with those. But um, it's just a great way to spend a weekend, really, amongst yeah. fellow sort of enthusiasts, mm -hmm. and and trying to go as fast as you can, and the frustrations that come with it. Somebody said to me at the last weekend, I went racing is about ninety percent disappointment. 10% <laughs> enjoyment. I'm not even sure I've had the 10% uh, to be honest. I think I've had about 1% enjoyment. But is that also um, because obviously you were known as the SL shop and if anything, as things inevitably do with classic arts, goes wrong, I suppose you've almost got like a, a double thing. You're like, bugger. Not only have I, can I not now do the race or I've got a bit of a problem, but also you're like, I shouldn't, this, this car shouldn't be going wrong. Do for a start, do things go wrong mechanically or is everything set up and it's it's sweet it's taken us a long time to get that particular car reliable and we were chasing reliability over speed because let's face mm. it a 107 sl is never going to be at the front of a pack <laughs> or be on, likely to be on the podium which suits my driving anyway um so we chase reliability first and speed second but yet things do go wrong mm. um of course it's it's racing and, and that's what happens isn't it you look at even look at formula one some of the best cars mm. on the mm. grid they still go wrong but interestingly when we've done some uh, days in the car with customers and, and other racers actually what happens more often is they end up just putting it in the gravel and we end up having yeah. that drive of shame with the car on the on the breakdown truck <laughs> not because it's broken down but because it's full of gravel everywhere because it's gone in the kitty litter or, or whatever oh but it's um you, do you race with your son jake yeah i do sadly he's faster than me it's something that us fathers have to appreciate in life there's a point in time when your son will be faster at you at running better at you than hitting a ball with a bat and sadly if you're into cars faster around a racer <laughs> although i've got some corking pictures of, of our of our racing time together we were both on track together and he's tried to just push it a bit too far and ended up reversed into a barrier somewhere where ah. i've oh, no. taught us in the um taught us in the hair, i think is the uh, analogy there excellent so let's get to the uh, let's get to the kind of the dreamy aspirational side of your business because as amy said she painted this beautiful picture of when you walked through the doors of your fantastic company the first thing you're greeted with is this beautiful showroom full of cars almost all of them are up for sale and i mean like anybody that loves cars walking into a classic car showroom is just a, it's a special place to be isn't it because you've got cars full of history full of character I presume the vast majority of them have been through your workshop as well, so they've all had a good once over. And of course, the ones that always jump out at me are the Pagodas, because I know we've given a lot of love to the R107 here so far in this conversation, but of course, the SL as a model kind of stretches to newer cars and older cars, but the Pagodas. So for those of you that aren't, if, in case you're trying to figure out which one I'm talking about, if I say to you, the classic convertible Mercedes with the slightly oval headlights at the front, you'll probably Beautiful know what car. I'm talking about. Absolutely gorgeous. So the first car I ever borrowed from you guys was a Pagoda, and I took it up to Scotland and, I, so I, and, and back. So I must have done, I don't know how many miles, 500 miles at least in, in that car. And it was the most luxurious, comfortable drive I think I've ever done up and around Scotland in. And it, it, yeah, sorry, John, I interrupted no, you. Just this, this dreamy vision and some of the photographs that I, I got from that trip, I still love because it's. We do so, too, we use them all the time. Yeah, I'm Thank so you. glad. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's a question for got you. Them. So, when that car was new, so was the Jaguar E Type. Uh -huh. Okay. In relation to its cost, 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How was a Pagoda SL versus a Jaguar E-Type? I should know more than I don't, do on this. Y- don't <laughs> spend too long on it. Give me a, a figure. Amy is the E-Type specialist. I, I have a feeling it was something like three times the price of an E-Type. No, head. I think uh, an, I'm going to go with an E-Type was twice the price as a Pagoda. Okay, well, you, well you, you're completely wrong. Oh, I, mean, I don't know what you've been smoking this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I can see a couple of empty <laughs> empty glasses on here. <laughs> Bit optimistic there, John, but twice the price. Twice so, the price. So yeah. essentially right. you could buy two no Jaguar E-Types for the cost of a, a Pagoda SL. Wow. You? I had no idea. Yeah. So what's, what sort of figure are we talking there at that time period? So we're early 60s? Uh, mid mid late sixties. Mid late sixties, yeah, yeah. and they would have yeah. been about seven grand. Okay, so in today's money, we're talking. Gosh, I tried to think. A lot. A lot. A house. Yeah. 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 And uh, uh, I may be going to get a biased reply from you here, but is it twice the, the car? <laughs> of course it time? is. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I might be inclined to differ. Okay, I think if you there's two answers to that question in terms of. A Morgan's just pulled in if you're yes. wondering what that is. In terms, is. is it twice the car in terms of its beauty? No. Mm. You know, I think we can all we can all conclude that an E-Type is beautiful, if not the most beautiful car ever made. A Pagoda yeah. is a very pretty car, but is not E-Type beauty. Sure. Talk to anybody who's got engineering in their background on mm. their CV, and I think they will conclude that there's significantly more engineering and build quality built into a Mercedes Pagoda of that era than compared to a Jaguar. You know, Jaguars were built to a price at the end of the day, weren't they? They were they were a very affordable way to do 150 miles an hour or something when they came out. It was the first car that did 150, I think, from Mm. my limited knowledge of E-types. But (laughs) you know, and they were built, they were like amazing value for money for the performance that an E-type gave. Whereas Mm. Mercedes never meant to be that. Mercedes were always about the quality that they gave and less about the sort of bang for buck. Sure. What were some of the at that, that time? Some of the um, I suppose newer bits of technology that Pagodas brought out to um, to, to help the, your driver. Were, were there any like things that was um, was something that Mercedes themselves I don't know thought up of to be able to be? Yeah, like, that yeah. was that was just at this the start of crash. Um, the understanding of actually if if car manufacturers made the cars with a little bit more integrity, with a few more. Excuse me. That's neither an E-type nor a Pagoda, <laughs> no. is it? That's something very modern. But yeah, I think I think it was the beginnings of understanding what it was to take care of us as passengers in mm. in a crash, and things like um, steering columns that folded out of the way and didn't necessarily garrot you or kill you or land in your yeah. chest or whatever else. The beginnings of crumple zones and those kind of things, mm-hmm. seat belts and things like that. You know, I yeah. think Volvo were the pioneers of seat belts actually, right. but Mercedes were very much behind, you know, just behind that. And yeah. of course, in the, in the eighties, they went on to do uh, the first to do airbags and those kind of things. Yeah. So I think from from Mercedes' point of view, it was about luxury. It was it was about 
comfort, it was about reliability, it was about speed, but it, it wasn't the lead, it was, it was kind of more about quality mm -hmm. and, and interestingly then safety. Mm. Where do you stand, let's jump forward now to where we are now, 2021, where do you, do you still see Mercedes as a brand as being that same pioneering leading brand when it comes to things like quality and engineering and reliability or do you feel like they've gone in a slightly different direction? Great question. I think they've done a superb job of taking the AMG brand and turning it into making all of their range very desirable. Mm -hmm. I think they've done a fantastic job with F1. Mm -hmm. um, I think whoever is responsible for design is, is doing quite a good job of design. And we, we, can, we can see what a Mercedes-Benz is still. You yes. know, we see one, whether it's an A-Class or an S-Class, you still recognize it as being a Mercedes-Benz. Can you say that about BMW nowadays? Mm. No, it's um, a good point. So I still yeah. think they're kind of, they've got some true to their core elements of, of design theme. Yeah. I, th I think they've done, they've moved, haven't they? It's interesting, haven't they? So BMW were about driving dynamics in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Mm. Mercedes were just about wafty, wallowy, comfortable <laughs> barges. And actually, I'm not sure where BMW is nowadays, but Mercedes now seem to be a little bit more about sporting intent, don't they? Yeah, yeah. that's true. You know, if you think everything's led by AMG, it's more about sporting intent with the technology that goes with it. Do you agree, John Marker, being the... Ambassador for BMW. Oh, <laughs> have I hit a nerve? No, no, no. I, no, but it can I think be a good conversation. Sadly. Well, I love old BMWs. You see. Yeah. I'm so sick. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. But I love my old BMWs. Yeah. I, I mean, sadly, I, I, I have to kind of agree because yeah, we we recently had a conversation with racing driver Miles Lacey where we were we covered this this subject and said you know there was a time that BMW M cars were very visceral and raw and it, you got in it knowing you were going to yeah. have a real experience driving that car. And that was the halo wasn't it? Exactly. An M car, a th an M3 is the reason why we all bought 318s. Absolutely. Like every sales yeah. rep on the road when I when I was on the road yeah. I had a Mondeo <laughs> I wanted a 318. Yeah 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 absolutely you're absolutely right and it, and it became it was the benchmark car both for the performance cars, it was this is the car we're pitching against the M3. That's what Mercedes would have said or Audi would have said or, or any of the other manufacturers. And if it wasn't we're pitching it against the M3, it's we're pitching it against the 3 Series. Yep. This is the, compar the, the comparison to the 3 Series. Now the sad reality in my opinion is that whilst I still am very affectionate for the BMW brand, I like, I like the product, I like the cars. For the M cars, for the cars that you want to get in and drive and have a real, true, visceral driving experience, it's, for me personally, it's too far along the lines of comfortable, easy to drive, posh, fast car with a body kit, is what I now see in a BMW M car, whereas 15, 20 years ago, it was a real, raw yeah. thing. And I, and I have to agree, I think, I think Mercedes have kind of, they're doing a really good job at the moment of capturing that driver that wants to have a noisy fast car and I know again the, the, the big difficulty for all manufacturers be that BMW Mercedes or anyone else at the moment is things like European emissions and yeah. global global emissions I should say because of course the, the rules for the US there's rules for us here in Europe there's rules for the Middle East there's rules for Asia and trying to confide and keep everybody happy and still provide a product that is still fast and loud and makes you feel like you're yeah. a driving god 
is a really difficult thing to do. So I don't envy any manufacturer, any engineer, anyone at the moment that wants to be sat in a boardroom going, right, here's the idea of the next M3 or the next C63 or whatever it's going to be for whatever manufacturer, because ultimately they're all going to get shot down going, yeah, it sounds like a great idea, but can't really do that because emissions and safety and pedestrians and, 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 and. It feels like actually their biggest challenge at the moment is buying semiconductors. <laughs> yeah. Chips yeah. More than yeah. anything, but that's a whole different. Probably you're probably going to cover that on another podcast. But that yeah. feels like their biggest challenge for yeah. the next six months, anyway. I mean, I, th I think that the yeah, the, the modern day car market at the moment is a fascinating place. And in fact, I was having a conversation with somebody else recently. Again, talking about BMW. I recently had an X7, huge gargantuan, the seven series, but the X version, so big off-roader thing. And apparently, BMW can't even meet the demand for people wanting to buy that car at the moment because they just can't. Get make the parts. They yeah. can't make. They can't physically make them. And I know that Mercedes are having similar issues with some of their models. And you know the answer, yeah. John. Tell me. What you've got to do is you've got to take your classic and use it as an everyday car. Exactly. I mean, I am well up for that. We know. We, well, you are the brand ambassador <laughs> for driving a classic as an everyday car. Although I did notice you've chickened out and sold the Land Rover. No, it's not sold yet. Well, you're selling the Land Rover. Well, only because I do. I might need to go a little bit further distance. But I mean, when we say, I, I, I bought for a replacement of the Defender, I've bought a car which is exactly the same year. So Later it's, <laughs> Later so now I've got a Range Rover Vogue. So, um, cool. It's a nice car, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and so, um, but I mean, it, up until, I, I, I would still, I've got, I'm, after we finish this, this actual podcast, I have to drive a three hour journey um, over to, to Lotus. And I was gonna be doing that in my MGB GT because that, I mean, it, it can do it. And it, I, yeah, if I hadn't managed to change a few things, I would have done that. And it's great because you know that these cars, when they have been looked after, mm. can do that because yeah. that's what they were there to do in the first place. So. Um, I still don't understand why anybody, as we're talking about this, you know, the, the way the manufacturers now have to stay very safe and it doesn't please everybody. Mm. I, I literally do not understand why more people don't want to drive classic cars because yeah. to me it seems logical. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe let's, I'm just let's, wrong. Let's approach that. Do you think it's a safety thing? Do you think it's a. What, are people scared of reliability? A little bit of that, oh, I yeah. Think, yeah. I think lack mm. of um, lack of knowledge and how to, to fix these things yeah. more than anything in the reliability point of view. So, I, I wrote an, an article recently about why do we own classic cars mm. and I opened it with about five different short stories of how many times I've broken down of, of various <laughs> things because you do break down in the classic cars. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I was whizzing on the motorway in the MG literally yesterday and I passed a 70 plate Jaguar on a trailer that was flashing lights in yeah. places that shouldn't probably be flashing lights and thinking, well, I'm the one that's still moving. So, um. If, I think if you have any basic knowledge or the ability to watch YouTube, you will be able to fix your your own classic car, unlike you can do with your with your modern cars. And so I, I really hope that that people continue to, to stay with classics, especially if they want to be in this in this world where every maybe it's being a bit harsh. A lot of cars that people now have and the appearance that we may have on the road is very beige. Like I'm oh good completely washing it, machines yep, white goods. And I worry not no not worry. I suppose I, I see the, the car market simply being, I think as we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, it just becomes a necessity that people have and they're not really that bothered about mm. what they're thinking you know, into. But in terms of a daily thrill or adventure or fun, it's, uh, I still, I will continue to think that classic cars are the way to go to, to be able to, to yeah. enjoy that. It doesn't even happen, when I'm saying classic, I'm not talking about 60s, 70s, you know, 80s, 90s, so yeah. some of the, the yeah, the early 90s stuff I think can still be fun and 
I mean, from person, my, my, my personal love is, is the 60s and 70s because they are, well, I think, the beauty of, of cars, the things mm. that manufacturers cannot do now, um, but also the you can still drive them and they're still easy to use as dailies. Is it also the fact that we are just wrapped up in this life of we've got to be somewhere yesterday, mm. we can't afford to be late, you know, we get stressed if we're in a traffic jam, mm. yeah. did a little bit, we've got to make a phone call on the way, the sat-nav's got to be there, yeah. we've got to have a heated seat on, and, and have we just kind of forgotten that basic pure pleasure yeah. of just driving joy for driving's driving sake mm -hmm. and if it breaks down mm. it's part of the adventure isn't it yeah it is yeah, part completely. of the fun and, and but the problem is we've got to be there be the next destination be at the next meeting ding, 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 ding. And, and it stops us from just slowing down mm. and enjoying that old car that might break down that's part of the fun isn't it <laughs> yeah and um, I, I quite like it when um, <laughs> I hate phone calls so much, and when people try to phone me when I'm when, when I'm in a car, which that's why answer, you don't answer my calls. Honestly, I don't answer calls to anybody. <laughs> like, There's a lot of people listening right now, going, <laughs> oh, oh right, but it's one, not just me. I, no, it's not. I, I answer. I, I even hang up on my parents. Quite sorry, my mum. <laughs> I'm not in the mood. Dad. <laughs> so, like, a bit, I mean, to be able to drive a, a, a classic car. I've got a legitimate reason then to be like, oh no, I can't answer your phone yeah, call yeah. because I'm That's in a car. That's a good point. So for me, mindfulness. You're saying what yes. you're saying is a classic car promotes mindfulness. Yes, that. And my whole point See. was to get to exactly that. I, <laughs> I do feel like you do have to concentrate a bit more on what you're doing, not in a, not in a negative way. It's not a mm. stressful way. You you don't you can't be hassled all the time. And I love that. I really enjoy yeah. the literally the cut off from this very very digital. I sound so old saying that digital no, 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 world. I get it. I get um, it. Yeah, because I know that otherwise, the minute I get out of that car, I will be on my iPhone for how many hours a day that my phone yeah. tells me that I'm on because yeah. I'm on Instagram because it's work, because I'm on emails because yeah, it's work, yeah, and so on yeah, and so forth. Yeah. And you never do switch off unless, unless you are in, for example, something like a classic car. Yeah. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. I, and the other thing as well, like the reason I asked the reliability question is because... There are going to be a lot of people out there that go, oh, I'm not really a mechanic, I don't know, I don't want to get my hands dirty and I'm scared of things breaking. But for me, personally, and I guess maybe this is because I am, I'm not a mechanic by any means, but I know, I know my way around a toolbox and I can fix things when they break. The idea of a, let's say an R107 SL breaking down for me is not terrifying because ultimately it's quite a basic setup in the sense of the fuel injection system, clutch, brakes, gearbox, other than that, there's not a lot. There's not a huge amount of electronics there. Yeah. However, the idea, so the idea of breaking down in an R107 for me is not a scary. Well, for a start, they're so so well made that it's, well, yeah. it's a rare occurrence in itself, which exactly. is why they're so popular as a vehicle that you can enjoy as a classic or as an everyday car or yeah. go around Europe in. Exactly. The idea of breaking down in something from 2015 terrifies me mm. yeah. because, I mean, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing back to that BMW X7 I was driving, or even you know we have. Mercedes GLCs that we use as our as our um, company cars that we drive around in. If that breaks down at the side of the road, there is no way in hell I'm even going to open the bonnet. Because what's the point? I can't see anything. It's all going to be sensors. I need to plug it into five different computers with special access permissions from Mercedes-Benz to tell me anything at all about what's gone wrong with it before I then have to just put it on a flatbed, take it to a Mercedes-Benz dealer who's going to have the only software that can get into the technology to get it fixed. That, to me, is the most terrifying thing in the world. And I think unless you've got the ability and the means to go and buy a brand new car every three years that's covered by a three-year warranty, and when it goes wrong, you just go, oh, well, phone up dealer, and they come and fix it. As you've said, why don't we all just have classic cars? Because when they break, 
can fix it with they a just coat, get fixed coat hanger and a toothpick or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my cars don't break down John. <laughs> no no they do or not. make that point again or dear listener <laughs> go and buy an no. r107 <laughs> from the sl shop and you've heard it here they never break down <laughs> well, they do break down from time to time but we know how to fix them what are the common issues so if there's somebody out there that's listening it's going oh this is brilliant because i've always thought about buying yeah. an r107 what are the things that they need to be looking out for oh so when you're buying one it's rust and those kind of things yeah. Yeah. in terms of reliability the, the the typical thing that will might let you down is something like a relay a yes. fuel pump relay or something yeah. like that that every now and again the car will cut out and then one day it won't start and it's just uh, a fuel pump relay where the little solders come away mm -hmm. and it, it just won't start so it's things like that the big stuff the big stuff like the um, the engine, the gearbox, the transmission, the injection system, everything else soldiers on year after year really? after year. In fact, they will go, and it's part of the reason why they've got a reputation for being quite expensive to fix. Mm. They will do mile after mile after mile of neglect. Oh, really? <laughs> and of course, okay. in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, quite often these cars did get neglect yeah. because they weren't the value or the desirability of a vehicle that they are now. Sure. And they did have neglect or, you know, some, some of the vehicles that are out there anyway. And they still, they still performed. They still started, mm. still stopped, still drove. But then all these things will happen and then they bite. And when they bite, they're quite expensive yeah. to put right. Yeah, yeah. And that horrible, scary word when it comes to classic cars, the R word, rust. <laughs> What's the? I, I've I've been lucky enough. Um, I've had a personal tour from yourself, Sam, walking around your lovely workshops, and you showed me the bulkhead. So that lovely panel that sits between the engine and the passenger compartment. Now that tends to be an issue for those, doesn't it? Or can be. Yes, that's right. Yes, and that's so. a fairly scary big job, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 it's a shame really because Mercedes engineered some lovely drain holes mm. to take the water from the scuttle panel in front of the uh, you know where your windscreen wipers are. Yeah. To take that water down around the gearbox bell housing and straight out to the floor. But what happens is over the years, of course, they were never cleared. So yes. those those drain holes get blocked and the water sits there and then a few leaves get in away and a you know old dead squirrel and whatever else <laughs> lives in there or live squirrel or whatever else and and, and then rust starts to accumulate and then yeah. of course that that then you know, trans translates down to the rest of the car and down into the sills and elsewhere. So they, they rust in visible places like wheel arches and, mm. and sills and those kind of places. But when they start to rust in that area, then it is quite a complex job to, to put right. Yeah, of course. Do you get people that come to you and say, I've always wanted to, to own one of these cars, but I want to see the process. Can you find me a complete wreck? And basically, I can not help you build the car back up to what it was but be part of that process have decisions being made is, is that something that comes along very often it does come along quite often and it's great when it does because you know that you've got somebody who's really invested in that mm. journey mm. you know along the way and let's face it normally i've got the wherewithal to to fund such a journey because mm. sure. it's not going to be a cheap one no. and it doesn't always result in a a return for for that person well, one of the one of the great stories that i can tell you is that <laughs> a pagoda restoration that we did a couple of years ago, a gentleman uh, came in with some trousers. Trousers? Yeah, trousers. Uh, on a um, coat hanger and, and put the trousers next to the car and said, <laughs> I want it that blue. Oh, wow. Okay. I want it that exact shade of blue. Wow, okay. And we kind of said, would you be better perhaps choosing a period colour that was correct for that 68 pagoda? And, and uh, nope. I want it that shade of blue. I really love these trousers. Well, the customer's always right, aren't they? <laughs> of course. So we painted it that shade of blue. Wow. Yeah.
Is it difficult <laughs> to colour match something like that? Do you have to like I don't know chop off samples of the, the trousers? We actually did. We we actually did get a, a panel and and gave him some samples and then actually posted them to his house to say <laughs> brilliant because we didn't want to paint the whole car on it to sort of yeah, shade off because of course the finish on metal is very different yes. to his cotton Texture. thread. Yeah. polyester or whatever they were I don't know I'm, I'm not into my garments but, <laughs> but light does funny things doesn't it light does funny yeah of course and as you say yeah the reflection on a fabric is going to be yeah, yeah, different yeah. to the reflection on a paint what is your um what is your bread and butter when it comes to the servicing side of things people coming in with with problems is there a common thing or is it just a mixed bag no we we are of the size and scale now you know if you think I've got 15 techs and three restoration specialists mm. so we're taking in and we've sort of we've, we've split the workshops up now. So we've got Heritage that does the sort of vehicles up to Pago, up, up to 107, so 50s and 60s vehicles. Yep. And typically they've got running issues, injection systems that people have had a dabble with, a mess with, mm. low on compression because the wrong fuel's been used, or typically on pagodas they're start and stop too often, and f they get fuel contamination into the oil okay. system. Mm -hmm. So of course over time that that kind of um, does its damage to the engine, so we've, we've got that as well as corrosion. On the 107s, we have everything from oil servicing through to health checks, through to mini restoration, through to some cosmetic upgrades and everything else. We're building a couple of uh, road rally cars at the moment. Mm -hmm. We've got some customers that do a lot of these kind of endurance rallying, um, so we're building a couple of those as long-term projects. We've got one or two um, Sportline projects. This is our sort of retro mod um, facility that we do. So we we offer a manual gearbox conversion because they were nearly all oh, automatic. Yeah. Um, we can increase the horsepower and torque depending on um, the customer's um, requirements. We can firm up the suspension for those completely wallowy, really yeah. early cars that are a little bit like driving a boat. Through to what we call modern classics. So that's the 129 SL yeah. from 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 91 to 2002, um, which really are kind of flavour of the month at the moment yeah. and interestingly John you know when you and I met a couple of evenings we've had here chatting yeah. to some of the some of the gang some of the regulars here at Caffeine and Machine it's interesting how many people are talking to me about 129s yeah. 129 SL and uh, I saw Chris Harris on, on his um, social feed the other day has, yeah. has got one and um, so they're sort of kind of flavour of the month at the moment they're still quite affordable mm -hmm. they're quite a lot of car for their money mm. you know you've got some elements of classic car some elements of a modern car so we've got a gang at an end of the workshop that just do those modern classics they can be very tricky to fix in terms of some mm. that's the start of electrical of woes yeah. you know in terms of control boxes mm -hmm. and you know, some you can buy from Mercedes, some we have to have refurbished, yeah. um, some things are terminal, and then and sadly the shape after that, known as the R230, that's the shape, the first one they did with the metal folding roof. Mm -hmm. You know, you can buy those things for like four, five, six grand at the moment, but yeah. you'll spend that easily putting right a, a really? suspension failure, or if a, hot, if, a, if a roof doesn't work, it can be thousands to put one of those right. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, you, you get me going here on-, on No, the, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think that, yeah, maybe in 15 years time, that's going to be the majority of cars could be rolling in and out yeah, of your be, workshops in the yeah. same way that you've got a, a handful of the beautiful pagodas but the vast majority of the r107s there's it's it's going to progress isn't it and yeah. i guess it's that we've we've mentioned this so many times in the podcast before that teenage icon car so if you if it was an icon yes. for a teenager yes. in the early noughties yeah then it's going to become when that when that individual gets to their late 20s early 30s if they made a bit of money then that's going to be the car they're going by because yep. that's the one they always aspired to have correct so one of the closing questions i'm going to give you is it's probably a question you've had before if not sls 
Hmm. What do you think you'd be working on? Would it be a another model or another mark, or do you think it'd be a bit of everything? BMWs. Really? Yeah, I mentioned it earlier, didn't I? But yeah. I, I'm a big fan of, and again, you know, you just you just said it a minute ago about it's about childhood nostalgia. My father. Um, used to work um, for Jeff Lynn of VLO. Right, yeah. Um, who's not million, well, used to live, he probably lives in LA now, I guess, <laughs> but he used to live in Meriden, just south yeah, of Birmingham yeah, by yeah. Solly Hall. And I can remember going to his house with my dad in the car and coming back in the car that my dad was working on for him because he didn't use main dealers because he, right. he just had a thing about working with you know local connections that he'd got. So Love my dad it. used to look after all of his cars. And I remember coming back in... in um, a 323, a brown two-door 323 <laughs> uh, BMW that belonged to his wife at the time, Sandy, and I, I'll never forget that first journey in the car and the, wow. the, the noise, the, the looks, the feel, the sportiness mm. of that car. Uh, that, was my, that was me into BMWs and, and kind of the thing, that the, the, the transition from me doing a proper job, I worked for Prudential at the time, to the SL shop was my, my daily car, my company car was... Um, uh, a 635 CSI. That was oh, my sort wow, of daily. Yeah. So everybody else had either a company car or they used their budget to go and buy a whatever it was, something new. But you know, I had one of those and a Porsche 928. It was I had for a little while as well. <laughs> so, so yeah. So BMWs to answer your question. Amazing, amazing. Well, we could probably rattle on for many hours about the uh, the fun of uh, taking apart old Mercedes and and the alternatives that could be, whether that's old cars, new cars. Porsches, BMWs, or anything else, or in your case, maybe MGBs. Which <laughs> I gather you have to take apart quite a lot. I think don't you? Mm, it's now been taken apart, but to put back together enough times that it's I think going to be together for uh, at least six months now. <laughs> we <laughs> Excellent. Hope. Well, this has been a. I mean, I, I wasn't really sure which direction this conversation was going to go, but it's been a nice kind of debate on classic cars. And, and my Tourette's and didn't come to the surface. The Tourette's all. I've, I've kept that down. That's I'm not really, sworn. really impressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess I, I want to throw this out to the listeners a little bit and try and get a bit of a gauge on what your thoughts are on classic cars. And if there is, um, if you're, if you aspire to drive a classic car but don't, I kind of want to know why. Mm. And you know, if you if you can offer an insight on that, we are working. Again, as we as we sometimes do, we're working towards a listeners' letters episode where we can address exactly these sort of questions because it is fascinating to know. Can, and um, can I add on to that? Ooh. If people have, have uh, maybe parents of teenagers and you're into classic cars, but your kids are not, or if they are, why why not? I'd like to I'd like to know their yeah. opinion as well. well. In the war, didn't we send all the kids to Wales? <laughs> to Wales, yeah. <laughs> To avoid being, if you yeah. lived in Coventry, yeah, you, you like to get bombed. So didn't we send all the kids to Wales? Is it a well, let's do the same. Let's send the kids somewhere. <laughs> if somewhere. you're not into classics, no choice. You have to go and live Wales. on an island somewhere. I think Wales is still probably a place you could send them. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to go to Wales. I'd love to live in <laughs> yeah. Wales. I've spent most of my time there actually. Evo, Evo Triangle wheel, in Wales as well. Two wheels or four wheels. Yeah. Or there might be there might be a listener or two that's out there who's clenching their fists in rage listening to us right now going no shut up i'm 17 and i do drive an r107 or i do drive a 928 or i do drive a yeah. bmw well that's great about this place cafe and machine where we're yeah. sat now isn't it yeah. it's so great to see yeah. that diversity of of car enthusiasts and it's yeah. great to see the kids i'm sounding old myself <laughs> like, you know, the kids to, to, to yeah. look around and yeah so get in touch, do, because it would be great to hear from you. It would be great to hear your, your classic car stories, any reasons why you do or you don't drive classic cars. And you can, of course, do that via email podcast at drivenchat.com or, of course, use the social feeds at Driven Chat. Sam, if people want to see you and what you do, 
where can they go? Where's the best place? Would that be Instagram or? Google SL Shop. We're based in Stratford-upon-Avon, so we are more than welcome now. The sort of COVID rules are relaxed. We're yeah. more than more than welcoming anybody through the doors. We'll make a, a mean cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Do you make a good cup of tea. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, do that. All come to one of our open days next year. We're going to have three open days, and so. we've got a few trips and tours planned. So yeah, and we're also a revival. We've got a stand-up mm. revival. Great. So come and come and bring me a coffee there, especially if you know me. If you bought a car from me, I think you owe me. So. So come and bring me a coffee and, and prop me up, especially on the Sunday when I've done four days straight or whatever. Super. Fantastic. Right. Well, Sam, thank you so much. It's been great having you. Thanks for having me. Long overdue, I, I think. It, but it's uh, yeah, great to hear your insight on, on the classic car world and, and to hear a bit more about the SL shop. Amy Shaw, thank you so much as ever. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, Sam. Looking forward to driving one of your cars again, hopefully soon. Exactly. Just invite yourself to drive one of Sam's cars. Well, to be honest, the last time I borrowed one of your cars, I think I borrowed it for about six weeks. So. There was that. Yeah, there was that. We didn't see it back. Yeah. At least John did. You know, John took one on our 50th anniversary run to, to Mercedes World, and at least he brought it back. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a few sweet wrappers in we noticed in the centre console, John. Oh, not mine. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that probably was me. Yeah, yeah. sorry about that. Yeah. I got yours in a uh, in a sun, uh, sunglasses advert actually for Purcell sunglasses. Oh, so, nice work. Uh, yeah, try to make. Famous. Actually, they're in adverts all the time. Sorry, I know you no, no, talking about this. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I like it. Go for it. They are. If you pay attention, 107s are in about four different um, adverts at the moment are for they? sort of either you Retirement know premium brands or you know for for premium brand stuff. You know, cool kids are driving 107s. You heard it here first. Cool kids drive 107s could be the title of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> thank you both very much thank you the listener for listening and we will come back to you in your ears same time next week the driven chat podcast in association with paramex digital you dream it we bring it to life find out more at drivenchat.com